We're so glad you're here. Thank you, worship team. Thank you so much. Again, uh, we say it often, but if you're a guest here today in person, this is your first Sunday, we have a gift for you. We were expecting you, and there's a big yellow wall out there that says Guest Central, and it's central to your experience if you're a guest. So would you go out there to that Guest Central, uh, just stop by and say, hey, it's my first Sunday. We just have a really nice gift we want to give you. Uh, you can take that, and just uh, stop by and grab that gift. We would love for you to do that, as the lovely Vanna Miller uh, displays that gift. I just realized how old I sounded when I just said it cracked a real fortune joke. So I just want to apologize for all the, all the younger people in the room that are under 70. Thank you um, for just being patient with me. Really glad you're here today. Again, welcome to our online church, uh, watching live on YouTube and Facebook. We're from all over Canada, all over the city, all over the world. And we get comments in uh, almost weekly uh, of people tuning in. And we're really glad and uh, meeting with people that are so thankful for the online experience. And we're glad you're here in person today at our second last Sunday at this location for a while. We're in a series right now called Pillars. Pillars, talking about the foundations of our faith. And our goal is to become stronger in our faith. A few years ago, there was a hurricane, Andrew, that hit Florida. Um, Hurricanes aren't uh, uncommon in Florida. And Hurricane Andrew hit. And after the hurricane, when they assessed the damage, there was, uh, along the coastline, along the Gulf Coast, there was some neighborhoods that were completely wiped out from wind and from flooding. And it was remarkable as reporters pushed into these areas, there was this one house um, just inland with all the neighbor's houses demolished and flattened. There was this one small regular house that still stood. As reporters walked up, it was in the newspaper, they reported it, uh, they said to the owner, your house is standing and the rest of the neighborhood is gone. Do you have any reason... Uh, why? What, what, what would you give? What would you attest to the reason why your house is standing? He said, well, I built this house myself many years ago, and I built it according to code. He said, so the Florida code of building, uh, the engineers understand that we are in a place that deals with hurricanes and floods, so I built it according to code. And if it said use a two-by-six, I used a two-by-six. If they said reinforce, reinforce. If they said make sure use this material in this way, I built it according to code. And because I built it according to code, the house stood. We're desiring to build our life according to God's code. And how do you know if it's according to code? Whenever we say the Bible says, that's our way of saying according to code. The Bible says according to code. When we open this book and we read scripture, we are saying this is God's code for building our lives. Not culture, not a preacher's opinion, not the trends of the day, but the code that God has designed and set us up. The word of God changes your life. And the word of God does not change. And it is the code to which we build on. Today, would you build according to code and would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as we build our lives, these pillars, the foundation on which we are building today in our faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia, they are being tested by many troubles and that they are very poor. And they are also filled with abundant joy. Interesting. The joy, uh, poorness does not um, mean absent of joy. Which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. That they did it of their own free will. 
They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did, far, did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, so we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you to encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love for us, I wanted you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. If you're going to jump over to chapter 9, next chapter, I'm going to read a few verses, starting in verse 6. Starting in verse 6. It says this. It says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous, generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so you can always be generous. And they will take your gifts to those who need them and thank God. So two things will result from the ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them, and all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you in deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Thank God for this gift to wonderful four words. This morning in the time allotted to me as we're in this pillar series, I want to talk on the pillars of giving. The pillar of giving. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the special time we've already had. I thank you, God, that you are getting people's attention. Jesus, you are whispering to hearts even now. I thank you for worship where we saw a response to that. God, we push through routine for the sake of routine. We push through uh, religion for just sake of religion. But God, we're asking that you would make yourself real. There are people here today because you've been speaking to them and drawing them and getting their attention. Thank you, God, that you still get our attention. Holy Spirit, we love you. We'll make much of Jesus today. Jesus, you have changed our lives and help us change the lives of others. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, let me give you some historical context on what I just read on this Pillars of Giving. And again, our goal today is to have the kind of lives and faith that withstands, I don't know, global pandemics, maybe uh, radical inflation, maybe um, trying culture, maybe um, offenses and miscommunication in community. The kind of faith that lasts a lifetime. I said it a few weeks ago. My goal as a young man, I remember hearing my goal was not to get through my teens 
serving Jesus. It wasn't to get through my 20s serving Jesus. I remember thinking, I want to die a great-grandparent of serving Jesus. You're never too young to think about legacy. Historical context of what we just read of Paul talking about the pillar of giving. Number one, it's during the time of Emperor Claudius. And there was an extreme drought around Jerusalem. It was a, a hard time for agricultural and um, people were suffering because of this drought. And there was a need for food. The church in Antioch organized a hunger relief fund. They were the original We Are the World. They started this relief fund. Again, a joke for those over 60. Um, uh, they organized a hunger relief fund uh, from the church in Antioch. Interesting, though, that the first time we ever hear uh, Jesus followers called Christians was in the city of Antioch. It's tied to their generosity and to their uh, help of those in need. Two disciples, they organized this fund, and two disciples were picked to go and pick up the offerings uh, and take them to Jerusalem. And this was Barnabas, and it was Paul. And hearing the need of the believers, uh, hearing the need of the, uh, uh, in Jerusalem, the believers in Corinth stated that they were ready to give in offerings. They were ready to take up offerings and financial um, help and give it to the relief fund that could be taken back to Jerusalem in a place that was hit by drought and help them weather the storm and provide food and care for the Christians and the believers there. But after a few months, after time had passed, they started to waver on their pledges, waver on their promise. So Paul now is writing them to appeal them to keep their commitment. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 are written for. It's Paul reminding them of their pledge, reminding them of their commitment, and saying, please do not go back on what you have promised. It's interesting, Paul starts, probably not in the best way, he starts by comparing um, the Corinthians believers with the Macedonians, trying to motivate them to give. He starts off by saying, by the way, the Macedonians are really poor, but they're giving so much. In fact, they're giving beyond what they're able to. It's really impressive, Corinthians, how much the Macedonians are giving. He starts by comparing, and that's not a really good way to start. Comparison is always a thief of joy. It'd be like me comparing you, Nova Church, to Moncton. It'd be like me going to Moncton and saying, hey, Nova Church is going to give so much this year. And then Moncton gets so inspired, they're like, hey, we're going to break through the snow and the locusts and the flies and, you know, whatever it is in New Brunswick, all that New Brunswick deals with. And, and, and you know, yetis and wildebeests, you know, the wildness that is New Brunswick. And then we're going to fight through our hardships and we're going to give, outgive and give more. And then me coming back to you and going, you know, they really gave a lot because of what you said. So it would be really embarrassing if, you did, if I had to go back to them and say, by the way, Nova didn't give anything. That's what Paul's doing here. It's not a really good motivation. In fact, it's very poor. It'd be like starting with statistics. And these statistics a friend of mine sent me that I think are interesting about comparison. That Canadians, as a percentage, give half to God in the church as much as Americans do. On average, Canadian Christians give 1.7% of our income to God, on average. 30% of church attenders across the board give nothing, week in and week out. 5% of church attenders give regularly. 75 to 90% of church attenders do not give consistently. But Paul starts with comparison, and comparison is a horrible way to start 
to challenge people in the pillar of giving. What Paul does do in chapters uh, 8 and 9 is unpack the pillar of giving in our faith. And I think there's some truth that I think speaks to me and speaks to you today as our goal is to build our life. And we talked about confession and we talked about prayer. And today, I believe the pillar of our faith, a pillar that you even see represented in these props on stage, is a life that will not collapse, that will stand the, uh, the test of time. I want to give you really quick three principles to build the pillar of giving in your life. Three principles from chapter 8 and 9. Number one, first, uh, the first point, is giving is the only way life grows. Think about that. I'm always fascinated when, when Nancy was pregnant with our two children that she, you know, we had these calendars that show the size of the baby as it grows and your blood doubles as a woman and you're, cause you're perverting, providing nutrients. And I remember Nancy saying her, her, what, what kid was it that you were obsessed with poutine? I think it was Maddie. Just, she was like, I can eat poutine cause I'm feeding too. She's like, I have to give more food because uh, this life is taking my food. She was realized that every single thing she gave to her body was producing life. Giving is the only way life grows. It's the truth. Nothing is growing without giving. Chapter 9, verse 6 says it this way. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. The harvest of a farmer is dependent on a few factors, but by far the greatest factor of any harvest that will determine how much will grow is the amount of seed they plant. Small amount of seed, small amount of harvest. It is the greatest factor. The richness of our lives, your life and my life, is dependent on a few factors. But the greatest factor by far that will determine our growth in our lives is the amount of giving of ourselves we give to this faith. Sow a little, reap a little. Sow generously, reap generously. You won't find anything that is growing in life without someone giving to it. Whether it be an economy or an attitude, there's always somewhere, if something's growing, something is feeding it. Jesus, who lived perfectly, said it this way. In Matthew 16, 25, he says, If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. John 12, 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Life only grows by giving. John three sixteen, a very famous verse that most of us grew up hearing, if not in church, at sport, sporting events. It was the first verse that my mother paid me a silver dollar. Silver dollars were these things we used to have when we were kids. And, um, um, she paid me a silver dollar to memorize John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. All life comes from giving. Giving as a believer can't be legislated or pressured. It's a matter of the heart. Look at 2 Corinthians. We just read it, chapter 9, verse 7. It says, you must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. 
some giving the tithe. Tithe is uh, 10% of your income. Me and Nancy believe in giving the tithe. The Old Testament talks about the tithe. Jesus in the New Testament said, I am above the law. I've, in fact, if anything, you should give beyond what the law says. But some giving the tithe, for many, is giving generously, and it's a big sacrifice. Others giving the tithe is actually sowing sparingly. It's about the heart. God doesn't want our money. You need to know that. The people that love giving, and we have people in our church that love giving, they love when we talk about giving, but other people that don't like and get uncomfortable talking about giving, they, they, they're like, well, God just wants your money. God does not want your money. People are like, the church is after my money. Church, God is not after your money. He wants much more than that. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. So much more. Matthew 6, 21 says it this way, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I have learned in my life that my treasure and my heart are so entwined that if you affect my treasure, you usually hit my heart. My treasure, uh, it, my resources are poured into my children. It's amazing how if you hurt my children or affect my children, then where's my treasure, you actually hit my heart. You want to touch on people's hearts, touch their treasure. If you want to see where their heart is, look for their treasure. My heart is tied to my treasure. Here's the question today that I asked myself today. It's a good question to ask ourselves today. Is, does God have your heart? If you want to know today, you can look at your generosity of your life. Because we can say a lot of things. I can say that I, I'm generous. I can say that I love God. I can say I'm a Jesus follower. But if you want to know if God has my heart, you need to look at the generosity of my life, of my forgiveness, of my time, of my talents, and also my treasure. Growth in our lives is determined by the generosity of hearts in sowing. Sow a little, reap a little. Sow generously, reap generously. All living, all life comes from giving. Point number two addresses the fear of the first point. The Corinthians were afraid of point number one. They were like, well, if we give, we won't have enough for ourselves. That is a real fear. I think it's a fear that exists today, especially in the climate we live in. It's a real fear. And point number two speaks to the same fear that they had that we have today. We think if we give our time, we won't have enough time for ourselves. I don't have enough time. To do what I need to do. I don't have time to, for the hobbies I have and the responsibilities I have and the people in my life. That if I give my time, I won't have enough time. If we give generously in our resources, we won't have enough for ourselves. Point number two that Paul unpacks speaks to the fear of point number one. Here's point number two. Giving is funded by the generosity of God. Giving is funded by the generosity of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to read verses 8 to 11. God funds the generosity. Watch this. And God will generously provide all you need. And you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed. You see that? For the farmer... And then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. These verses overflow in the generosity of God. God is saying life only grows by giving and he wants to supply what we give so we can enjoy the life that grows. 
That's the promise of God. Let me say it this way. A generous God funds the generosity of the generous. A generous God funds the generosity of the generous. Why does he do this? Why does God provide so we can be generous? In verse 8, gives us a clue. It says, and God will generously provide all you need, then you. In my version, it says, then you. Will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. The then you in that passage is the why. This is the part that corrects the spin of prosperity preaching. If you've been around at all in the last 30, 40 years, there's this term, prosperity gospel or prosperity preaching. Man, you see them late night on TV. I, I get so angry when I see these. I don't know if you've, I used to have cable. I haven't had cable for years. But have you ever seen these guys on TV and people on TV and maybe you see them on the internet and they're late night and like they have these things that they're selling, these prayer cloths. Have you ever seen these? They're like, if you, if you send us this money donation, I'll send you my new book, and I'll send you one of these prayer cloths. And if you take these prayer cloths and lay it over your bills, all your bills will be paid. I remember thinking, if that's true, then just put the prayer cloth on your own bills and get off TV. <laughs> Prosperity gospel says this way, name it and claim it. That if you want a new boat, just claim it. If you want a new car, just claim it. If you want a new house, just claim it. Name it and claim it. God wants to provide and give you everything you need. Just blab it and grab it. Just say it. That's the prosperity gospel. This verse right here, then you, corrects the spin that is put on the truth that God will fund generosity. Watch this. It says this. Then you is the opposite of this spin, of this, spin, of this prosperity gospel. It says, then you share with others. Look at verse 9. They share freely and give generously to the poor. God funds us so we can be a conduit to help change the world. To give to the poor. What does poor mean? Well, poor is a lot of things. It's poor in spirit. People that spirit is poor. They don't know God. They don't know the grace of God. They're not going to heaven. They don't know forgiveness and grace and mercy and joy. And they are poor. They may be driving the nicest car in the nicest neighborhood, but they are living in poverty in spirit. And part of our goal as the kingdom of God is to reach the poor in spirit. The poor in God experience is poor in health. It's poor in food. It's it's poor in body, soul, and spirit. And one of the reasons why God funds us is not just so we can name it and claim it and blab it and grab it and be blessed, is that our needs can be met, but we can also go and reach the poor. John Piper in his book, Desiring God, says it this way. God increases our yield or our harvest so that by giving we can prove that the yield is not our God. We get more, but we give more, proving our trust is not in our harvest. It's not in, our, in, 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 in what we're growing or what we're receiving. It's proving that we know that God is our source and he is our God. And by giving what we get, we keep turning it back to God going, we thank you for this, but you, aren't, you are our source, not this harvest. Pastor Daryl Johnson puts a spin on it this way. He says, a generous God funds the generosity of the generous so the generous can keep on being generous. That's worth saying again for my friend, Pastor Darrell. A generous God funds the generosity of the generous so the generous can keep on being generous. They, the fear is not having enough because we gave. And that has no truth in Scripture. 
Like a farmer, when you sow much, it only proves to grow much so that you can sow more and grow more. No farmer ever sows a lot and going, now I'm going to be broke. Now I'm going to be poor. Now nothing's going to, I, I, I can't survive. He knows that if he sowed it in the right place, in the right way, it'll actually bring more for him. And as he gets more, he's, you know what I need to do with this? I can live for a week really well, or I can plant it and give it more, knowing it'll keep producing. And as he produces, he keeps giving and sowing. And as he sows, he keeps growing. As it's growing, he keeps sowing, and it keeps producing. I guess it comes down to the core belief that when you give to God, are you paying a bill, tipping for service, or planting a seed? That is the core value. And some of us feel like we're paying a bill. I've got to give something to God. Oh, it's like a bill. I don't know about you, but in our house, we don't get excited about paying bills. Nova Scotia Power, there's not a lot of joy. I love you, Nova Scotia Power, but there's not a lot of joy when I pay that bill. There's not a lot of, a lot of, a lot of excitement over my insurance bill. There's not a lot of my car payment. There's not a lot of excitement. And sometimes we feel the same way with giving to God. It, but I guess the core belief is, am I paying a bill? Or others, it's tipping for a service. It was a nice service. I liked the worship this week. I liked the message last week. Uh, I, I, I liked the coffee. You know, I, I probably drank in $25 worth of coffee in the last four weeks. I should probably give something. I should probably tip. And mentally, we, we leave here going, do I give a 10%, 15%, 5% tip or not? Or are we planting seed? I think if we get to the core belief, Paul is saying, you understand you're not paying a bill. You're not tipping for service. You're actually planting seed. Point number three that Paul speaks to the pillar of giving is giving reveals that we've been experiencing the gospel. Giving reveals that we've experienced the gospel. 2 Corinthians 9, 12-14. So two good things will result in the ministry of giving. Two good things. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem, who are going through a drought, will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Isn't it interesting? Not to the believers, but they have to give thanks to God. Verse 13. As a result of your ministry, they'll give glory to God, for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. What Paul is saying is the proof that they've experienced the gospel is in their generosity. That you've experienced the the grace of God is proven in how generous we are. The gospel breaks the fearful grip of greed and frees us to be generous. What is the gospel? Well, Paul summarizes it in verse 9. He says, you, of chapter 8, he says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Christ Jesus, though he was rich for our sakes, became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Because Jesus understood that all life comes from giving. Jesus risked it all, gave it all, gave generously, so we could be wealthy in grace and forgiveness. He set aside the comfort of heaven. He accepts sacrifice So we can be healed, forgiven, restored, and brought into the family of God. That is the gospel. Paul was saying, to the degree we receive this grace will be the degree we give ourselves away. I don't have time this morning to unpack it, but in Luke chapter 19, there's a story of a man named Zacchaeus, and he's called a notorious sinner, which is like there's levels of sinning back then. It's like really bad. Jesus said it's all the same. But in culture, it's like, well, that's a really bad sinner. Tax collectors and prostitutes were at the top of the list. And it said, notorious sinners, and he was a tax collector. And this this man who was far from God, poor in spirit, he has dinner with Jesus. Jesus actually invites himself over to his house. And after one dinner with Jesus, he stands up 
in the middle of his house and starts confessing. And Jesus stops the dinner and says this, today salvation has come to this house. Here's the question. What made Jesus say that? What did Jesus see and hear from Zacchaeus for him to stop everything going, he understands grace, he's receiving salvation. Today, a miracle has happened spiritually. What did Jesus see? What did Jesus hear? The key for this moment is that Zacchaeus had just said, I'm going to pay back everything I've stolen and I'm going to give away half of what I own to the poor. And in the generosity of that offering, Jesus said, that's the proof that he saved. He says, today salvation has come. Giving reveals that we've experienced the gospel. Who told Zacchaeus to give away money? Nowhere in the text, if you look at it in Luke, did Jesus say, here's what you need to do. Nobody told him to. His generosity was a response to what he was experiencing with Jesus. That's the natural response to grace. The grip of greed is broken in our time, our talent, and our treasure, and generosity flows. Giving is a pillar of our faith, and it reveals that we've experienced the gospel. When people experience the true grace of heaven, it's amazing how they can't be stingy on their forgiveness of others. They forgive everybody. It's amazing how they're generous with their time for their neighbor, for their friends, for their kids, for their spouses, for their church. It's amazing their talents. Well, you know, if you pay me this or you honor me this or you put me on this platform or give me that position, then maybe I'll give you some of my talents. And no, no, if it's mine, it's yours. It's amazing when you've experienced the grace of the gospel, how generous you become because it's a response to understanding that you were generously blessed. And freely given, freely received, freely given. It's a natural response to grace is the grip of greed is broken. Giving is a pillar of our faith and it reveals that we've experienced the gospel. So today, how do we respond to this? Well, the last few weeks with pillars, it's like the pillars of confession, prayer, and giving. Evaluate today, church. And I, and I should say this, because there's always those minds, and I'd be one of them, I'm sitting there. The church needs money. We actually don't need your money. We need a new building. But some of us are excited about church in the afternoon, sleeping in a little bit. We're actually doing well financially. As a church, we're growing every single year. This is not a place going, we can't pay the bills, we can't pay salaries, we can't pay insurance, we can't keep doing ministry. This is not the place. We're actually in a good place financially. This is not need-based. This is not that. This is about your faith. The same way we don't need you to pray. We don't, our prayer room's not like no one showed up to our prayer room. We're not sitting there going, you need to confess. It's about building our lives. So the pillars so far of confession, prayer, and giving, here's what I think the response should be in your life today as a Jesus follower evaluate how strong that pillar is in your life and address it where it's weak. Confession. If you see God as a father to run to, not a mean judge to run from, your confession will increase. Hopefully, in the last three weeks, your confession has increased. I don't know about you, but mine has. I find myself confessing more, going, God, I want to run to you, not from you. I confess I want to keep my spirit light. God, I run to you because you're quick to meet me there. 
to address how much do you confess? Maybe it's prayer, the pillar of prayer. You understand even last week that God rewards us when we pray. And hopefully in the last week, at some point, you started praying more. It might have just been driving, going, God, I need you. I, I love you. God, I'm believing you're going to help my family. You're going to help my purpose. You're going to help my job. You're going to help my, my, my purity. God, you're going to help my health. Hopefully you prayed more based on the pillar of your life, evaluating what is your prayer life like? Well, the same thing today. The pillar of giving. How generous are you? How generous are you with your compliments? How generous are you with your time? How generous are you with your talents and your finances, your treasure? Are you paying a bill? Are you tipping for service? Or are you generous to God in your life? It's a chance to grow. So plant way more and watch what God will do in your life. A life that is built on the pillars. Confession, prayer, and giving is a life that is stable. Amen. Would you all stand to your feet today? We're going to, Pastor Matt's going to lead us in a song as we close. If you close your eyes for a moment. Just if you would, just close your eyes just for a moment. I want you to picture your life. Just take inventory. Picture who you're responsible for. Picture whatever got you to this point. Picture your life as a whole. And just simply just put your mind on Christ and ask this question. Lord, how stable is my faith? How strong is my relationship with you? And let him speak to you. I believe today, he wants to be our firm foundation. Strengthening the pillars of your faith. No matter what storms come, no matter what wind blows, no matter what text you get or circumstance happen, no matter what diagnosis comes across your life's table, that there will be a strength built on the firm foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Father, I bless this church. I bless them with your voice and your presence. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you direct us, correct us, encourage us, and lead us? And Holy Spirit, would you empower us with grace and strength? God, I pray the generosity of our forgiveness, of our time, of our treasure, would reflect the goodness of our God. In the name of Jesus Christ. Pastor Matt, will you lead us today in worship as we get ready to close as a response to this message and the goodness of God. Whatever you want to
all with one voice. Here is where I lay it down, every burden, every crown. This is my surrender. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down, every lion, every doubt. This is my surrender. Yeah, I will make Don't say 